the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good afternoon. Happy Tuesday. Jimmy Sangenberger here with you. Once again, News Talk 710-KNUS. All this week from 3 to 4. Thanks for joining us, being a part of the program. Of course, our telephone number, as always, it has not been changed, is 303-696-1971. And you can text in to the show on the 710-KNUS app on your smartphone. Name and town, name and town. If you wish to text in, please, of course, you can email me 24-7-365 as well at... The 710KNUS website, 710KNUS.com. Go to the Jimmy Sangenberger Show page. And there's my website, JimmySangenberger.com. Keep in mind, there's no A, I, or U in Sangenberger. It's all E's all the time. Once you know that, Sangenberger is easy. So lots of ways to get in touch with the program and much to discuss and in the hour that we have with you today, we will be talking about some goings on in, in Boulder schools if we have time where, gosh, it's just way overboard on this whole climate change thing in a way that, look, it's Boulder, yes, but it also sends an indication as to what could happen in school districts around the country, and it is extraordinary. And I don't mean the good kind of extraordinary. That'll be coming up. Plus, uh, Kelsey Grammer, the actor, is back with his show, Frasier, in a rebooted sort of form, where he's now back to Boston. I've been watching it, and uh, I have to say enjoying it. It's different, but I'm liking it. And he was asked by the BBC if he still supports Donald Trump, and his response was interesting and resulted in the interview being cut right then and there. What happened? We've got sound we'll play coming up in a bit. Meanwhile, we are seeing some changes in the economy, the hot labor market that was looking real good for the economy this past year is now looking like it's cooling down a little bit. And in fact, there are fewer job openings. Job openings fell 617,000 in October to 8.7 million, well below the record high of 12 million openings for March of 2022. And there are, of course, still a lot of jobs available with six and a half million or a lot of people looking for work and 6.5 million unemployed Americans trying to fill the jobs that are available. Meanwhile, we are seeing little downticks in inflation, which is encouraging and could be changing the trajectory of the Federal Reserve and their interest rate hikes that they have been doing very fervently of late. 
So what is going on here and what might we be able to anticipate as this year ends and a new one begins? I'm very pleased to be rejoined on the program by the CEO and chief strategist of QI Research, author of Fed Up, an insider's take on why the Federal Reserve is bad for America and for nine years, a former senior advisor to the president of the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas. Danielle DiMartino Booth joins me now. Good afternoon, Danielle. Welcome back. Thank you for having me. Uh, Great to listen to the intro. A lot of moving pieces here in the economy. Yes, there are. Now, as you look at it, since there are so many things happening, big picture and then we'll drill in. What's sort of your top line? This captures what's happening right now in this moment. So, um... I'll try and make a long story short, and that is that in data back to 1976, every time we've seen 50 individual states, including Washington, D.C., which makes 51, with rising state unemployment rates, we have seen a subsequent month of of job losses in America. And we actually crossed that Rubicon of 50 states, with the only exception being um, Texas. So 50 states, we crossed that Rubicon in October. So by all rights, we should be seeing job losses at this point. And the track record back to 1976 is nine out of nine times. Um, the caveat that I'll throw out there is the Bureau of Labor Statistics has been throwing out some very strange data that's extremely prone to downward revisions. And we also did have the end of the United Auto Workers strike. So we know that quite a few tens of thousands of workers came back onto assembly lines. So we're not quite sure what Friday's data is going to look like. But by all accounts, the United States is in recession. In recession at this moment. So if that's the case, what are we looking at as far as the GDP prospects here? Well, it's interesting that you ask that because as strong as GDP was in the third quarter, it looks like the jump off point. So economists look to see what the gauges of momentum are going from one quarter to the next. And we actually started off the current quarter, October 1, um, in a hole, in, in, in the negative. And believe it or not, that is exactly what happens at the very end of cycles, is you kind of go out in a blaze of glory. We were even stronger in December 2007, which happens to be the first month of the Great Recession. Danielle DiMartino Booth, as we look at this going into the new year then and the prospects for what that could mean, for example, with regards to the policies of the Federal Reserve, they have been boosting interest rates. People have been feeling that in the mortgage market and so forth as we see these rates going up. And um, But now the Fed is, is giving indications that they might be stopping that, especially as we've seen inflation get more in check. So with what you are saying regarding a possible we, the possibility that we could be entering into recession right now, uh, how do you think those factors play in? So again, um, the data has been very kind of suspect coming out of Washington, D.C. The reason I bring that up is because I think that we could see one or two more months of favorable um, employment data coming out of Washington, D.C., but given what Fed officials said, especially Uh, Chair Jerome Powell at the very end of last week, before the Federal Open Market Committee went into blackout. In other words, no Fed officials can say anything starting last Friday 
until after the, the meeting is ended on December the 13th. But from everything we know, they're going to remain in, in at the very least in a holding pattern. So there are no more rate hikes to come. That's the headline. The question for most Americans, though, is when are we going to see some relief? When are we going to start to see rate cuts? Isn't that something that even the discussion coming back at this moment after the effort by the Fed to bring it up to get inflation under control and so forth, that now you're you're hearing chatter of, well, could we see rates go down? I, I, I find it hard to believe that Powell would be open to it this early or this soon after making that pause. Do you? Well, so on average, when you look back to the post-war period, uh, that the last rate hike, which would have been June of this last summer, so the last rate hike on average is followed by seven months of the Fed being in a holding pattern. The implication is January of 2024 for the first rate cut based on that average of seven months. But I'm right there with you. I don't see it. I do not see this Chair Powell as being open to rate cuts. The market has begun to price in something as soon as March of 2024. We're going to have to see how the data evolve between now and then. But you're very astute in pointing out that Jay Powell is not like his predecessors. Again, Danielle DiMartino Booth joining us, CEO, Chief Strategist at QI Research. Let's talk about the inflation data for a moment because we did see it ease in October. Now there's even talk of some not terrible kind of deflation, but a little bit in a reduction of prices in certain areas. Uh, I don't know how widespread that would be, and, and certainly we would not want it to go into a deflationary spiral, although I would, ima- would not imagine that would be the case. But what are you noticing from that inflationary picture, Danielle, especially when we have seen the Fed raise rates as they've tried to bring it down. And it seems to be to that point where they could say, "Okay, not too big of a deal as as it has been. Well, you know, it's interesting you bring up the whole D word because the, the chairman and CEO of Walmart Corporation did recently say we really are starting to see vendors drop their prices. That's deflationary. And we've seen five months in a row of falling prices for goods. Now, the same cannot be said for services. So you're not paying any less um, for, let's say, your car insurance, which is a huge hot button with so many Americans right now. Um, so service prices have not, certainly not gone down. And we would, uh, th- that would certainly be the chapter two, if you will. But from what I'm seeing from sources of future demand, it's coming, and it's actually probably going to come to Europe before it even gets to the United States. Uh, but that, that also speaks to the sources of support that United, the United States economy will not have, and that would be sources from, say, foreigners visiting here from abroad, tourists. Uh, that's, that's not going to be there if we're going into a global recession, which is kind of my base case right now. So consumer spending rose 0.2% in October. That was down from 0.7% in September, according to the Commerce Department. Now, of course, you've got it all, as you were saying, this funny data that's coming out from the federal government. But if we're seeing a drop in consumer spending, even as inflation has gotten under control and you're even seeing a little bit of prices on some things going down, that seems to add more support to this idea of, well, the United States is, is in recession or heading into recession at this point because consumers aren't going to be spending as much when they're finding need to tighten up their belts. 
that is absolutely the case. And we are seeing more small businesses, more medium-sized businesses uh, declare bankruptcy, throw in the towel. In fact, we saw a, a higher preponderance in the month of November than what's seasonally normal but in December and January of any given year. If you're about to throw the towel in as a company, those are the two biggest months. So if we've already seen a doubling of business closures in America in the, in the past month of November, wow. then I would have to say that something wicked this way comes, given regular seasonality for December and, and January, I, I really do hope that most of your listeners are in a buckling up mode right now, because that's the mindset that we need to have, despite the fact that we've just come through a period when Uncle Sam handed out money like candy. Isn't it somewhat ironic then that we've been talking about, okay, the rise of the cost of everything and how people are struggling to make ends meet because the cost of things have been going up. And yet now, as they're starting to go down a little bit in certain areas, we're talking about people being less able to spend money on those lower cost goods. There is always an irony, and it's a bitter irony because we haven't made up for the ground that we lost a loaf of bread, a gallon of milk, they still cost much more than they did right. in late 2019. So we haven't seen a, a repairing in terms of our household budget. And yet, we're, we're, we are starting to see what we do see normally with disinflation that leads to deflation. And that's the loss of jobs. And inflation is really irrelevant if you don't have a paycheck at all. Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. Again, Danielle Martino Booth, our guest, just a few minutes left with you, Danielle. And one thing that we've also noticed is that the quits rate is not growing. We're seeing workers quit on quitting, as the Wall Street Journal summed up. The quits rate held steady from the prior month at 2.3 percent, but has trended down since touching 3 percent in April 2022. If you have a higher quits rate, more people leaving their jobs, that means they feel like they can go out into the jobs market, find another opportunity elsewhere pretty easily, or maybe have one lined up. They leave their job and they go on over there. This is another indication that people are saying, okay, I need to hold on to my job now because, well, I need that job. That's absolutely right. Um, it's formally called the quits rate. I informally call it the take this job and shove it rate. And right. people are feeling kind of less confidence in their ability to say, hey, boss, take this job and shove it. That means that they're feeling job insecurity. And, and that's exactly what we're seeing in rising continuing jobless claims, right? We've got continuing jobless claims at north of 1.9 million, almost 2 million, uh, higher than they were in late 2019 when the U.S. economy was slowing. And we've seen nine consecutive weeks of rising continuing jobless claims, the number of Americans collecting unemployment benefits, specifically because they're not finding another job once they lose theirs. And that's another way that's that, that's another aspect of the quits rate that's reflected is rising, continuing jobless claimants. You touched on this, uh, uh, I think, loosely a few minutes ago. But when we look at the more global picture, you got the United States, obviously a critical part of the global economy. But how are we seeing other countries in this direction? When you say of the prospect for a global recession, are we really talking global? Well, we did have the surprise announcement from uh, one of the major credit rating agencies that the country yep. of China, the second largest economy, was being downgraded. We saw that this morning. Uh, we heard 
this morning also out of fresh data that it looks like Germany is going to remain in recession. That's the third largest exporting nation, the largest European economy. And it looks like France has also succumbed to recession. That is Europe's second largest economy. So I would say once you wrap in China, the United States, and the two largest economies in Europe, you're definitely talking about a global downturn at this point. Yeah, and you're talking about Moody's downgrading China, particularly because of local government debt woes and really a debt crisis for these local governments in China. That's a big red flag from the perspective of Moody's. So final question for you before we let you go, Danielle DiMartino Booth, as we look at these numbers, we see these troubling data points that are indicating heading into a recession. What should folks be watching and paying attention to as the year ends and the new one begins? So I think people should be very cognizant of the fact that the Federal Reserve has not begun to reduce uh, the rates at which you can make your uh, uh, on your savings. You can still buy a Treasury bill and lock in a great return on your cash so that you can maybe prudently be on the sidelines and watch from afar while we see what's going to happen, how the recession is going to manifest in the stock market. It's never been pretty. Sometimes you get off to a nice roaring start. And seasonals are on our side with the Santa Claus rally. But right now, I think you're still being paid to sit on the sidelines, and handsomely so. Very interesting. And uh, unfortunate, as we hear recessionary talk growing. Danielle DiMartino Booth, again, CEO, Chief Strategist at QI Research. Always appreciate it. Thank you for your time today. Thank you for having me. And Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. Thank you. Once again, Danielle DiMartino Booth joining us. Some fascinating insights. What do you make of it all? 303-696-1971, our telephone number. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with much more on the other side. Jimmy Sangenberger, News Talk 710 KNUS. The best Christmas bumper music known to man on that radio. Charles Brown and Bonnie Raitt. Gotta love it. Great version of Merry Christmas, Baby. Love the OG Charles Brown version. Good to be with you this afternoon. News Talk 710 KNUS. Jimmy Sangenberger here with you. Some nice soothing music as we return from the break and from our discussion with Danielle DiMartino Booth, pointing to several indicators that we are heading into recession. Now, officially, we haven't had two consecutive quarters of negative economic growth. There's no official declaration, but she's looking at the data points that have shown up from a couple of months ago into now, what we're seeing and what the expectation could be of heading into a recession. She's very sharp as well. A lot of indications of a slowing economy and a weakening jobs market as well. There is less help wanted, fewer job openings. Workers aren't quitting in nearly the numbers that they were before. Hiring is slowing down with employers adding just 239,000 jobs last month. And raises are getting smaller as finding a job is getting harder. 303-696-1971. Let's go to Antonio in Commerce City. Afternoon, Antonio. How's it going? Pretty good, sir. Uh, I don't know. They've been saying for the past year and a half we were supposed to be a recession. You know, we were supposed to be one this year. Uh, I don't know. All these guys who say, oh, we're going to be or whatever. I, I kind of go with the flow of things because our system knows how to play those cards where they can kind of push off recession or they like to cook the books, we'll say, 
Um, I don't know. Just so I, I'll just I, I'll I was, just say this: from having interviewed Danielle DiMartino Booth a number of times over the last year and a half, two years, she has not been on that train of "Oh my gosh, the recession is is happening now." That hasn't really been her shtick, and she was pointing to some very specific data points that give indicators. Now, that's not the be all and end all. One person saying something doesn't mean it's happening or it's true, but yes, it at least has some merit to it now, especially when we're looking at some of these data points that we weren't seeing in the jobs market for a long time. Antonio, the jobs market was more robust and conservatives like myself were pointing more to the inflation that kept going on. And now we're not even seeing that as consumers are pulling back on their spending. Yeah, uh, and I think the reason some of the prices are jumping is because the price for gas is down now. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel that's just because Biden knows he's he's looking really bad on the polls. So he's trying to kind of warm the hearts of Americans. I mean, well, I don't think Biden. Long- I don't think Biden has anything to do with it. I think that you just have seen increased production. And so what what happens then is when you have more supply and demands relatively stable, then you see prices go down. It's basic supply and demand. But there's always funny business with the numbers, and that's something that Danielle was pointing to as well. Hey, Antonio, I appreciate the call. Thank you. Thanks. Merry Christmas. Uh, 303-696-1971, our telephone number. Of course, there is an ongoing war in Gaza where the Jewish people faced the worst attack since the Holocaust on October 7th. And we have seen a skyrocketing surge in anti-Semitism around the world and right here at home. In fact, we saw it just this past weekend outside the Colorado Convention Center where these protesters, as they call themselves, were banging on the windows, busting up glass, protesting the Jewish National Fund, which basically plants trees. Just one of many examples of the skyrocketing anti-Semitism that we are seeing, which is why standing up for Israel and for our Jewish brothers and sisters is so important. Tonight, Colorado Christian University is hosting a powerful event of unity that's bringing together Jewish and Christian leaders at this very important time. And of course, the executive director of the Centennial Institute at Colorado Christian University and host of the Frontier Freedom Hour on Sundays on 710KNUS is going to be there speaking, and he's joining us now to give us the 411 on the vigil that is happening tonight. Sir, welcome. That's right, Jimmy. You did a great job on that. Uh, We need to honor Israel. We need to honor the Jews. We need to honor their great contributions to Western civilization and we've had enough of this anti-Semitism. It's, it's lunacy, and it's the result of Marxism that has pervaded our culture that puts people into either, you know, kind of oppressor versus oppressed categories. And then it, when you do that, you greenlight whatever the oppressed, quote-unquote, wants to do. And that's just not right. Um, what happened to the Jews on October 7th was horrific. What continues to happen, the anti-Semitism, the anger— uh, and that comes from the Middle East uh, towards the Jews is not right. So we're going to host an evening in support of them. We have a dinner uh, benefit that's going to raise money for United Hatzalah, 
We have a donor that have stepped up and said that they will match any pledge mm. for United Hatzalah up to $500,000. These, the, these are the ambulance organizations that are there. They, they race under fire to go rescue. Jimmy, they probably rescued 2,000 people uh, on that day of attack on October 7th. So we're going to do a benefit for wow. them. Then we're going to do a prayer vigil. So come by Colorado Christian University this evening. The prayer vigil is open to the public. 7.30 to 8. We won't keep you outside too long, but will you grab a candle with us? Will you stand with Christians and Jews? Will you pray for peace in the Middle East? And will you stand against the crazy, corrupt, Marxist anti-Semitism that's taking place in this country? Um, you can find out all this at ccuforisrael.com. That's ccuforisrael.com. Yeah, I will be there, and I'm looking forward to it. And, Jeff, I want to ask you one question before I let you go. I was asked this a week or two ago by a listener and gave my response, and I'm curious how you would respond to it. Why is it that the United States for so many decades has been such a close and invaluable friend to the Jewish state of Israel, and why is it important? Well, I recommend you to go to Israel sometime, right? Think about think about the potential conflict in Jerusalem, Israel area. Uh, you have holy sites for Muslims, Christians, and Jews. The Israelis have done a wonderful job. Even if you get out of the religious scripture side of all of it, Israel's done a wonderful job creating a country where Jews, Muslims, and Christians can worship at their holy sites without conflict. It's a great country. I've been there. I felt at home there. People celebrated me. I went to a museum of tolerance in Jerusalem. They have a museum of tolerance that was really helped built by Larry Meisel. You know, Larry's a famous name here in Colorado. Mm -hmm. So you have a great country there. And it, it, think about all the radical Islamists all around that part of the world that throw the LGBT community off roofs that prevent little girls from going to school. And then you have this beautiful democracy in the Middle East where people are thriving. Capitalism is great. I mean, businesses are being built. Uh, people get to go to school and live great lives. So for that sake in itself, it absolutely should be defended. But the Jews are good people. They contribute so much to our nation, to our history, to Western civilization. The idea of the laws that we get these days, the, 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 the Ten Commandments, that all came. Uh, the idea of justice, right? As Moses said, let my people go, the fight for justice. We inherited that tradition. So the country's a good country. The people are good people. They, uh, they've contributed so much. To Western civilization, and I'm very glad that America stands with them. Yeah, very much. So one more time, those details for the prayer vigil in particular tonight, Jeff Hunt. That's right. Prayer vigil at Colorado Christian University, ccuforisrael.com. That's ccuforisrael.com, 730 on the campus of Colorado Christian University. Come by and uh, light a candle with us and pray with us. Beautiful. Looking forward to it, brother. We'll see you tonight. Thank you, Jimmy. Yeah, Once then. again, Jeff Hunt joining us, checking in on uh, this incredible event coming up this evening, Colorado Christian University. Turn out if you can. You can also watch a live stream online as well of the dinner that is happening before the prayer vigil. Our telephone number, 303-696-1971. If you want to join the festivities. So this was really interesting. 
Kelsey Grammer is doing some interviews lately because of his show, the rebooted Frasier. They brought it back where he's moved to back to Boston. He's now a, an instructor at Harvard. And it's funny. I'm I'm enjoying it a lot. A couple of these episodes are just absolutely hysterical to me. And I'm a big Kelsey Grammer fan. And one of the things that I've always appreciated about him is that he has been very public about being a conservative. In fact, let's go back to the days of the Tea Party movement, 2010, 2011. And Piers Morgan, who was then still at CNN, Asked him about the Tea Party movement. Are you are you sympathetic to the Tea Party element of the Republicans, or is that a step I'm too far? I'm sympathetic to some of the principles, but I'm not sure that the Tea Party has behavioral problems, other than the ones that have been identified by people who are inimical to them. So you know, it's like I'm not sure they say anything that I would object to. I I've just been told that they're lunatics. There's not, nothing they say obje- be objective to me. I, mean, I don't know. At all? I, I think smaller government's a good idea. Mm-hmm. Always have. I think lower taxes are a good idea. Always have. So that's that's what I know they are talk you, about. Are you- <laughs> so, yeah, well said. Nice. Great to hear him say that. I always love Kelsey Grammer's voice. So when he's speaking conservative principles, that's great. Well, he was just on with the BBC for an interview on their morning show called Today. And I think it was just radio program. And Justin Webb is the anchor. And, well, Justin Webb asked Kelsey Grammer a question. And the interview ended pretty darn quickly after that. And uh, I'll never quit. i got to ask you about politics before we finish. You mentioned Roseanne early on, mm-hmm. <laughs> who had a great comeback, but also was a Trump supporter. You were, at least you were a Trump supporter. I'm fascinated to know if you, if you still are. I am. And uh, that's about, I'll let that be the end of it. <laughs> that was the end of it. Though I have to say, actually, Kelsey Grammer himself was perfectly happy to go on talking about it. The Paramount Plus PR people less happy that he talked about it at some length. They'll so be we, really thrilled that you they, mentioned that. Yeah, there now. <laughs> really thrilled. Anyway, they uh, they decided that uh, we'd had plenty of time for our interview. But I should stress that he was absolutely perfectly happy to talk about why he supports Donald Trump and still does uh, in the coming election. I should also say that that tragedy in his early life, in case people don't know, Kelsey Grammer. So that was really interesting. First, and the reason why I played that whole clip is because then you could hear Justin Webb explain why the interview ended. Kelsey Grammer was totally fine with elaborating on his points for why he's still uh, a Trump supporter. And Paramount Plus is there being like, nope, we're giving you the hook. This is not happening. Nope, nope, nope. You're not going there. (laughs) Look, I know I'm I'm super critical of, of Trump, but come on, let the guy speak his mind. Let him give his views and his points. He's one of the few icons in Hollywood who were able to be conservative and get away with it. I think of John Voight, too, although he's probably a little more on the outs these days. But for years, he was able to get away with it. And you've got Kelsey Grammer and you've got a handful of others on in Hollywood who are of that vein. But again, listen, and uh, I'll never quit. I've got to ask you about politics before we finish. You mentioned Roseanne early on, mm-hmm. <laughs> who had a great comeback, but also was a Trump supporter. You were, at least you were a Trump supporter. I'm fascinated to know if you, if you still are. I am. 
And uh, that's about I'll let that be the end of it. I am, and I'll let that be the end of it with the little slightly nervous laugh. Oh, hey, it's good. He's still standing by his viewpoints, very strongly by his viewpoints, and not backing away from that more conservative perspective of even the Tea Party. He said, I'm for smaller government, always have been. I'm for lower taxes, always have been. Beautiful. Kelsey Grammer, come on to this show. I would love to do an interview with you sometime down the line. Listener text, I love Kelsey and his new sitcom is wonderful. Yes, it is. It is a lot of fun. The rebooted Frasier on Paramount+. Plus. 303-696-1971, our telephone number. We're going to take a break. Feel free to chime in on the recession or Kelsey Grammer. But also, what in the world is happening with climate change right now? And the youth in Boulder and the likes of John Kerry overseas right now in Dubai. Keep it here. Jimmy Sangenberger with you. News Talk 710 KNUS. Rocking and rolling back. Jimmy Sangenberger here with you. News Talk 710 KNUS. Three to four all this week. Thanks for joining us, being a part of the program. Follow me on X. The platform formerly known as Twitter, I'm at Sang Center. That's saying with an E, not an A, Center on Twitter. So there's this big climate change conference in Dubai right now with all the world leaders flying in on their private jets, putting out all that carbon emission. All these world leaders enjoying some nice steak dinners from the cows with all their flatulence that's burning up the earth. And of course that means John Kerry, the climate change czar for the Biden administration, was there talking about, well... The need, in essence, to uh, shame the world into addressing this very alarming moment. The scientists are saying this moment is alarming. It's without precedent. It is terrifying, some have said. And others will say we are in uncharted territory. So that is why it is critical that we include all greenhouse gases in the next round of the nationally determined contributions, or NDCs, that will be finalized by 2025. And I'm really heartened, we're all encouraged, that China, President Xi and Xi Jinping's work and his team committed to do this in sunny lands. And you know what? Over energy, we used to go to wars, and uh, there could have been a war over climate change. Uh, this is insane to be thinking that, you know, we're asking people to give up. We're, we, we, there was a time the last years that uh, we might have gone to war to protect our energy sources. And now we're the largest oil and gas producer in the world, and we do it because we have mostly the shale gas and the capacity to frack and do what we do. Uh, and again, that's technology that produced that. Right. But gas will have a confrontation with the future in the future. Gas will have a confrontation with the future in the future. <laughs> what? Uh, oh, my goodness. But you know what, folks? Just keep in mind, because Kerry has promised it. John Kerry has promised it to us that this has absolutely nothing to do with politics. First of all... 
I'm guided by the science. Uh, and I can tell you, honestly, there is zero politics or ideology in any decision that the President Biden has made or the administration has made. We are driven by the science. Driven by the science and their obsession here really, really has nothing to do if with politics. If we can't hear Mother Nature and can't judge with our own eyes what the science is telling us, this is not about politics. There's no ideology. There's no pejorative against any one business or any approach. There is simply mathematics and physics and some chemistry and biology. That is what we are acting on. Mathematics and physics and, and some chemistry and biology. <laughs> I just, I, it's hard to take this guy seriously. Isn't it? Isn't it hard to take him seriously? Mathematics and physics, and some chemistry and biology. I don't know. I, I think I think chemistry has a little bit more to do with the atmosphere and the molecules of CO2 and the molecules of the methane and all of that. That that actually has a heck of a lot to do with uh, chemistry. You want to do ca carbon capture that requires chemistry to know how to capture the CO2. But he's out there gallivanting around the world. And he gets to join these other world leaders and wag his finger. You must do better. We must all do better. Meanwhile, these elites are instilling outright fear into the hearts and minds of teenagers today. Literally a 14-year-old student in Boulder Valley schools told Colorado Public Radio, and I quote, not to sound so pessimistic, but what is there worth living for if we're just going to let our planet die? This is a 14-year-old girl asking what there is worth living for. If we are just going to let our planet to die, making an assumption, oh, we're just, we're letting our planet die, so why, what is it worth living? Isn't that depressing? Hearing me read those words, I'm depressed reading them. And more than half of Generation Z say climate change makes them feel fear, anxiety, anger, frustration, all of those kinds of things. Why are our youth being conditioned to adopt such a depressing mindset? Well, this mindset is what got high school kids in Boulder so motivated that they went to the school board and said, you need to pass a Green New Deal resolution, specifically activists with the Sunrise Movement. Do you remember several years ago when Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was elected first, was first elected? And she and a bunch of other young people went in and did a sit-in in Nancy Pelosi's office. Do you remember that? This was November of 2018. It's that organization, the Sunrise Movement. And now Boulder Valley Schools is the first school district to pass such a resolution as this, the first in the entire country, and they hope not 
the last. The resolution is more than just restating a number of initiatives that they already have had. An audit will scrutinize textbooks and instructional materials for alleged inaccuracies and inadequacies regarding, quote, the reality, cause, severity, and solutions to climate change. Who determines what's accurate and how is unclear. And by 2026, here's the kicker, students across all grade levels will undergo tailored instruction with, quote, sustainability, knowledge, values, and behaviors embedded in their lessons. They want it in all disciplines, not just science class. And that same year, all faculty and staff will have to go through professional development for education, for stability. Let's just be clear about something here. Advocating for sustainability education and addressing climate change is laudable. I'm cool with that. I get it. I think that there's some impact that human beings have. It's nice that the private market, the private sector, has been reducing carbon emissions because there's more efficient technology and they're responding to market pressures from people in the public who say we want you companies to put out less greenhouse gas emissions. That's why Colorado has significantly increased its fracking in this state and yet reduced its so-called carbon footprint. But this Green New Deal resolution veers headfirst into indoctrination, transforming classrooms into platforms for climate alarmism. And here's the thing. What we are seeing here is an absence of adult leadership. The adults are not in the room. We need to emphasize honest discussion and prioritize critical thinking skills. And yet, here's what's going on. There's a perception of adult inaction on climate. But that doesn't mean that the children should drive policy decisions of this magnitude. It's one thing to protest to Tay Anderson on a school board with good reason. It's another thing to say, we want you to do these things and to help micromanage the budget and this and that. I could go on, but I encourage you to read my column in the Denver Gazette today on this very topic. Time for adult leadership in Colorado schools. Uh, Steve texting in, Jimmy, John Kerry is one of the biggest buffoons in the Biden cabal. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Joe in Arvada with another one I agree with. What's sad is so many take him seriously. Yes, that is very true. Another, he means political science. Yes, yes, exactly. Oh, my goodness. What world are we living in? I just I just don't know. It's the world where egos are fed, and that's all it is, right? Time for adult leadership in Colorado schools. Check out my column for the Denver Gazette today. I'm back in the saddle three to four again tomorrow. Be sure to tune in then. Enjoy the nice weather while it lasts. You know the highest day on record? Even more than today was 79 degrees in 1939 for December 5th. Interesting factoid. God bless America. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.